You can turn with me to Proverbs. I'll be, we'll be flipping around a good bit through Proverbs, and I'll, I'll just make my standard disclaimer now. Normally in this church, when we are studying God's Word, we pick a book and we just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Proverbs is set up differently. It doesn't allow us to do that. It doesn't make sense when we do that. So as we study Proverbs this summer, we're looking at the topics that Proverbs addresses. So we'll be jumping all over the book. And after some comments last week, I've tried to make sure that the verse references are on the screens now so you can know which proverb I'm referencing without having to diligently listen to my every word. Heaven forbid that you do that. (laughs) So I've taken a few selections of the many proverbs we'll be looking at this morning as we look at wisdom for the worried. I'll begin in Proverbs 21, verse 30. Hear now the word of the Lord. No wisdom... No understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Proverbs 19:21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 3:24 through 26. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. This is the word of the Lord. One of my favorite comedy sketches of all time is Bob Newhart playing the role of a psychiatrist. Some of you have seen this one. Sits down in his office opposite of a young woman who has come to him to deal with a certain phobia that she's struggling with. It's affecting her life. And and she begins to explain to him what what her phobia is and how it's affecting her life and this anxiety that is, is disrupting her so much. And he says, in order to treat her, he says, I just have two words. That's it. Two words. Don't even need to write them down. All right. You listening? I want you to take these two words from the office and I want you to to do what they say. Okay. She's all ready. Stop it. (laughs) She says, what? Stop it. S-T-O-P, new word, I-T, it. Stop it. She says, but it's, no, stop it. But what about, no, stop it. And it goes on for about five minutes like that. And she brings up new problems she's dealing with. Well, what about my destructive relationships with, stop it. That's his whole solution. And sadly, when we, you know, we, it's funny because we know that's not going to work, right? We know that our problems go much deeper than we in our own strength can resolve. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We just sang that. And too often, we take God's word and we read it and we see what it tells us. It says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Don't worry. And our hearts read those words and we interpret them as stop it. As if that's the solution to our anxiety and our fear and our worry. Proverbs tells us as a book how to live out the gospel. Proverbs is not a book of solutions for those who are apart from God. It is a handbook for living wisely for those who have been already saved by God. It is wisdom for the way that we walk as we journey in Christ. But it lives on the assumption 
that the work of God to save his people has already been done. And that's important because the solution in Proverbs and throughout Scripture to our worry is not simply to say, stop it. Just stop worrying. Because for a truly anxious person, and I know there's some of you like me in this group, when someone just says, well, stop worrying as if that's going to solve it, that makes the problem worse because now I'm worried that I can't stop worrying. In most cases, our anxiety is not groundless either. We worry for a reason. There are legitimate threats. We just sang about them in a mighty fortress about the forces of evil, not to mention the forces of nature and mankind that are allied against us. We worry for a reason. And in order to truly address our worry and to genuinely stop it, we have to address the root of worry in our lives. But we don't do that by obsessing over our problems or analyzing them or planning a strategy against them. Peace is not found in anything we can accomplish. Proverbs 12, 25. Proverbs 12, 25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. A good word makes him glad. The solution, the answer to our anxiety and our worry has to come from outside of us. A good word that speaks into our life and disrupts anxiety, cutting off worry at its root. It is no coincidence, I would suggest, that the solution Proverbs gives is a good word. And the word gospel means, literally, good word, good news. As we will see in this study of worry in Proverbs, it is the gospel that speaks into our life and gives us the peace that overcomes our worries. We will see that because of what God has done for His people in Jesus Christ, because of the Gospel, we can replace worry with peace. There are three aspects of God's work in our lives that will bring us peace, and we see them all laid before us throughout Scripture, and we're going to look and see them in Proverbs. We're going to find peace in God's power. We're going to see there is peace in God's purposes, and there is peace in God's presence. First, let us look at God's power. If the gospel is to give us relief from our worry, it has to address the foundation of our worry, which is our powerlessness. We worry when we consider or see things, anticipate things that have the power to harm us and we are powerless to defend. But Proverbs 21, verses 30 and 31, you already heard. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. The ancient people in the days when Proverbs was being written thousands of years ago believed in a world where supernatural beings, gods, fought for control of the world. The god of this nation versus the god of that nation. They would fight for control and each nation hoped that their god would be victorious because if not, they would suffer. If their God was defeated, they would suffer. And we may laugh at and look down on such crude notions about the world, but when our hearts are consumed by worry and by anxiety, we are guilty of much the same belief as the ancients. Because our worry comes from not seeing 
or believing at a heart level that God is God Almighty. Do you believe what we sang this morning in our first song, O Father, You Are Sovereign? We said, all chance and change transcending, supreme in time and space, you hold your trusting children secure in your embrace. I love that line, all chance and change transcending. Proverbs describes it this way in 1633. The lot is cast into the lap, or you could say the dice are rolled, but it's every decision is from the Lord. There is no randomness. There is no chance. There is no uncontrolled event in God's universe. As R.C. Sproul used to say, there is not a maverick molecule in all the universe. No activity, no power, no nothing that runs outside of the power and control of God. That is true power. Even rulers are subject to him. Even nations, governmental leaders. Proverbs puts it this way in 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God turns the heart of kings and presidents and senators and judges and CEOs. God has absolute power over everything. In the words of one of the greatest theologians I have known, Bob the Tomato. <laughs> Veggie Tales, if you don't know the reference. God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla and the monsters on TV. God is bigger than the boogeyman, and he's watching over you and me. Our worry. And our fear loses its foundation when we see that God is on his throne, controlling all things by his mighty power. God is not a laissez-faire king who's just letting things happen the way that they will. God is not a semi-powerful king who controls some things, but others he's like, yeah, I just don't have the time to get to that. Or I'm just going to have to let that happen and I can't do anything about it. That is not the God you serve. Proverbs puts forth a God who controls even the roll of a dice, the heart of a king. No counsel, no plan can prevail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory comes from the Lord. Every preparation, every planning, every bit of work that someone does cannot go against the power of the Lord. That's one thing to say that God is powerful as Proverbs does. But those who have received the good news of Jesus Christ know that those are not just bold words. When his disciples were caught in a storm, their boat being tossed about, Jesus stood up and rebuked the wind and the waves and weather obeyed him. Nature obeyed his command. He showed his power over the created world in rebuking demons. He showed power over the spiritual world. In healing sicknesses, he showed power over our very bodies, over the molecules, the atoms, the viruses, the bacteria. God exerts his power over all these things. And in the miracles of Jesus Christ, we see the power of God displayed, but not just in his miracles. The cross of Jesus was an act of power as well. He died not in defeat, but in victory. Listen to how Paul describes the cross in Colossians 2. 
He says to Christians, you, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And how did he do that? He did that by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. These, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In the cross, God defeated sin and condemnation, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's speaking of the spiritual powers that work against God and his children and use our sin to condemn us and bring us to our knees. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. The cross of Jesus was a moment of triumph for God when his power over his enemies, over sin, over death was made manifest. And so I say to you, sinner saved by grace, the death of Jesus in your place was a triumph of the power of God, a triumph over the forces of evil that sought to unravel all of God's good creation. Satan, sin, death, evil, these are defeated enemies whose efforts against us are but the dying gasps of a fallen foe. In the miracles of Jesus, we see the power of God, but in the death of Jesus, we see the power of God. And in the resurrection of Jesus, we see the power of God displayed. In Ephesians 1, I love these verses. Paul prays that the church, that we would know the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. What's that might like? The might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. People of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you and for you. Find peace in that. Let that cut off your worry at its root. When anxiety knocks on your heart's door, when worry grips you at the throat and would choke you, you may declare, I have a risen Savior. The power that conquered death is at work in me and for me. And you may find peace in the power of God. The power alone is not really enough. Because power can be used wrongly, right? It can harm. It can be used capriciously, pointlessly. So for the child of God, though God's power should give us peace, it only does so when we see that his power is guided by his good purposes. Proverbs encourages the worried soul to find peace in God's purposes as well. Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Child of God, this verse applies to those with evil intent and to you. Whatever plans wicked people make, God's purpose will still prevail. Whatever plans you make to protect and preserve yourself, it is God's purposes that will prevail. And the comfort we have in that is twofold. Two things about God's purposes. Number one, God's purposes are revealed to us. And number two, God's purposes are good. Let me address both of those. If we did not know God's purposes, they would be of no comfort to us. We would and probably should, in fact, worry if we did not know what God was doing in the world. 
A little confession time. I don't know, Randy, if I told you I was going to say this, but I'm going to speak for you as well, because I know this is true of you as a pastor as well as of me. When someone says, Pastor, can I meet with you next week? And doesn't tell me why they want to meet? Do you know what happens in my heart? What did I say? What Did I make them angry? What have I done? Is this the moment they tell me they're leaving the church? That's partly my own insecurity, but I'm not, I know that I'm not alone as a pastor in that. We fear because we don't know what your purposes are. And we're bracing for what it might be. You with me, Randy? Yeah, okay, I got a thumbs up. Yeah, I'm not alone in that. Not knowing someone's purposes can be unnerving. But God has revealed His purposes in His Word. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Everything God has told us proves true. We know His purposes. As we come to know God's Word, we find it is a protection for us. God reveals His plan to us in His Word so that we can be free from worry about the future. He reveals His plan to us in His Word so we can be free of worry about the future because He's told us where things are going. He's told us what the end will be. Proverbs 24, 19-20 Fret not yourself because of evildoers and be not envious of the wicked for the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. God is saying that's where things are going. Why are you worried when evil men triumph and succeed? Here's where it's going to end. Proverbs 11, 7 through 8, when the wicked dies, his hope will perish. And the expectation of wealth perishes too. But the righteous is delivered from trouble while the wicked walks into it instead. That's where things are headed. That's the purposes and plans of the Lord. We, know, we not only know that God's power is in control of all things, but we know where that power is leading all things. His purposes are revealed. I told you there's two things about his purposes that give us peace. One is that they are revealed. The other is that they are good. This is important to see because despite God's power over all things, we still see some pretty bad stuff happen, don't we? Evil triumphs for a season. Hurtful people continue to hurt. Virtue is despised. Is this really God's purpose? Is he really in control and this is really what he had in mind? Proverbs assures us that it is. Proverbs 16.4 The Lord has made everything for a purpose. Even the wicked for a day of trouble. Even the wicked are made by the Lord for a purpose for the day of trouble. Now, and it's one thing for Scripture to tell us about God's purposes and to assure us that they are good. But in Jesus Christ, we get to see those purposes at work coming true. In His death, we see that God's purposes are still good and still at work, even in the dark and confusing circumstances of life. In Acts 4, reflecting on the, the crucifixion of Jesus, that evil event when, when evil people seemed to triumph. The disciples described it this way in Acts 4. In this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. 
Even in that dark hour of the crucifixion, the disciples looked back and said, God, that was what your hand had determined would take place. Your purposes are still good, even when such a thing as this happens. The death of Jesus is a reminder and a lesson that even the darkest moments of our lives and the worst parts of history are still a part of God's plan of salvation. They are still working according to His good purposes. Will we experience harm and pain and suffering? Yes, perhaps. Does that mean that God has failed us? That He cannot protect us or that He has abandoned us? No, it never means that. No more than Christ's cross was a failure of the plan of God. It was not. His purposes yet prevailed. Though we might not understand them in the moment. And we are also promised that despite what we see in the world at every any given time, here's how it ends. Here's how the purposes of God end. Philippians 2, describing again the death of Christ being found in human form. He humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what comes of that in the purposes of God? God highly exalts him bestows on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's where the purposes of God are leading things as the power of God is in control of all things. No matter what stops we experience along the way, no matter what darkness and what valley it seems to go through, that's where it's leading and we can find peace. Find peace in the purposes of God. It's one thing, though, to know that God is powerful and has good purposes. Those things should give us peace, but our weak souls still find a way to worry, don't they? Because we may yet imagine and picture ourselves alone in the fight. Sure, God will win in the end, but until then, how do we know that we will be okay? And so it is important to find peace, not only in the power of God or the purposes of God, but to also find peace in the presence of God. Proverbs 15, 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. He is far from the wicked. That's not a geospatial term. We're not talking about distance that can be measured in miles or kilometers or whatever you use. When the Bible speaks of God being far or near from someone, it's not talking about distance because God is everywhere at all times. Nearness and farness, when Scripture speaks of it in that way, are relational. When God says in Deuteronomy 31, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of your enemies, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. It doesn't mean that God promises that he's never going to stop existing in a certain location. That's not how it works. It means that God is near to you giving presence, giving strength, giving protection, giving guidance. The wicked receive no such comfort. But God is present with, listening to, helping his children. Proverbs 3, 24 through 26. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Okay, who, 
who really needs some sweet sleep, okay? Who, who has experienced worry keeping you from sweet sleep? Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. The promises of God are not just for the cosmic big picture. He's not just controlling the big things. They are also for each and every one of his children for you. Proverbs 29, the fear of man lays a snare. Whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Now that's not a promise that no troubles will come. Everyone who trusts in the Lord experiences troubles. Whoever wishes to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, Scripture tells us. Troubles may and indeed will come. But the presence of God assures us that when we do face trouble, we are not alone. Just as we sang already this morning, quoting the words of Isaiah 43, Fear not, says the Lord, I have redeemed you, I've called you by name, you're mine. When you pass through the waters, not if, when you experience overwhelming difficulties, floods, trials, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. It's Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. The presence of God with his people is a promise that his power and his purpose are personal. They are for you, not just the important people, not just the famous people, not just the biblical names. They are for all of his children. This is a promise that we see in Scripture again and again. Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And we see that that is only possible because of the gospel. The presence of God is only made real to us because of Christ. You see that in Romans 5. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we're reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We were enemies. We were far away. And because of the death of Jesus, we have been brought near. The presence of God is only possible because of what Christ has done to remove our sin and reconcile us to God. Now, these next verses we look at a lot, but only because we need to. We need to be reminded and we need to let the profound truth of these verses sink in. Listen to them with these things in mind, with the the power and the purposes, and most importantly, the presence of God in mind to free us from worry. Romans 8, 37. In all these things, we're more than conquerors, more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Is there anything you're worried about that isn't on that list? I challenge you to find something you can worry about that is not covered by that list. Everything in all creation, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Find peace 
in the presence of God. The Lord is far from the wicked, but to the child of God, he promises that nothing can separate you from him. He is near. And that nearness not only removes worry, it grants boldness. It grants assurance. It grants confidence. And that nearness is only, only possible through Jesus Christ. The death of Jesus brings us near to God. And the resurrection of Jesus assures us that nothing, nothing can separate us from him. When worry threatens the peace that is yours in Christ, find peace in the presence of God because of Jesus Christ. And cling to the gospel promise that whatever you are worried about, and, and let me be real here. For some of us, that worry is undefined and vague and generalized. And I can't even put a name or a face or a reason to it. It's just a sense of dread and fear and anxiety. You need to say, well, it doesn't matter what it is because there's nothing in all creation that can separate me from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is the only true source of peace we can find. And so my message to you this morning is not stop it. It's not stop worrying. The Bible says don't worry. Don't worry. No, the message is to look to the gospel. Turn your eyes to the Savior whose death and resurrection communicates to you the power, the purposes, and the presence of God. The gospel tells us that it is not our power, it is God's power that secures us. It is not our purposes that prevail, it is God's purposes that cannot be shaken. It is not us working alone, it is the presence of God with us. As we're about to sing in a moment, it's not the strength of our faith that assures us, but the strength of the one in whom we have faith. When I fear, my faith shall fail. He will hold me. The gospel is the message that the love of God holds you fast and carries you to the end. Not because of your power. Not because it's your plan. But because Christ has endured the punishment of your sin and has secured victory over his enemies and ours. What then is there to fear? What cause then is there for worry? Now after the song... We always close our service. And for those who are visiting, they're like, wait, what? This guy's getting back up again? What's he doing? We come back up and we close our service with something called a benediction. Where are my Latin scholars? Benedictus. Bene, good. Diction, dictus, word. We always end with a good word from the Lord. So that it's not our commitment, not our blessing, not our words that close our worship, but the good word of God. As we saw in Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. But a good word makes him glad. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is the good word that makes us glad, that removes our anxiety. And so I want to give you a preview of the benediction you will hear. And listen to these words with these things in mind. From Numbers 6, the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron to bless the people with these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. To keep is to protect, to use power to preserve someone. 
The Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you what? Peace. Peace. The good word of the Lord. The gospel makes our hearts glad and gives us peace. Let us thank him for the gospel that cuts off our worry at the root by unveiling to us in Jesus Christ the power, the purposes, and the presence of God for you. Join me as we pray. Our gracious Father, truly you are a Father to us, a good Father, one who loves his children, who exercises all the power he has to protect and preserve them, who has good purposes that cannot be undone, and who is ever present with his children. We thank you for Jesus Christ, whose life, death, and resurrection has put your power, your purpose, and your presence on display for us and has secured for us a peace that is greater than all our worries, anxieties, and fears. By your Holy Spirit, remind us of these things each day and may they conquer in our hearts all that would steal the peace that you have given us. We pray this in our Savior's name. Amen. Amen.